Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. I am your host, Jared Mintz. I am recording on Monday morning. It is September 11th. I'm riding solo today. For the first time in the history of this podcast, we are doing a solo show. Yes, I am Mr. Solo Dolo, and what better of a day than September 11th to really kind of be by myself with my own thoughts. Of course, I want to review NFL Week 1, maybe even get to Kristaps Porzingis showing out at Eurobasket, but before I do anything, obviously it's been a challenging time in our country. Not only is it 9-11 and the 16th anniversary of 9-11, which is something that, I don't know, anybody in my age range holds near and dear to their heart. We've also had a lot of natural disasters occurring around this country with Hurricane Irma over this weekend, Hurricane Harvey, you know, less than two weeks ago. So I think today is a very good day to to be reflective and to think about a lot of the things that have been happening in our country, past, present, even future. And uh, I hope everybody that's listening to the show is safe and all their loved ones are safe. And uh, let's enjoy a show talking about some football for a change. So it's hard to talk about week one and everything that took place over the last few days without starting off with some injury review. Sadly, we saw David Johnson go down with a wrist injury very early in the Cardinals' loss to the Lions. David Johnson, of course, a very highly valued fantasy football pick this year. It looks like a wrist injury. It shouldn't be too serious. We're hoping he'll be okay. If you need to have a replacement for him, right now it looks like that guy is going to be Andre Ellington. Ellington wasn't super productive on Sunday, but he did get a lot of the work. He played a lot of the snaps, and I know a lot, a lot of people would like to take Kerwin Williams in this spot, but doesn't look like he's going to be the guy to match Johnson's production. Again, we don't know how serious David Johnson's injury is going to be. Hopefully he will be back soon. It doesn't appear to be season-ending or anything of that nature, but keep posted to, to the waiver wires today and to, to all the news wires about fantasy football injuries. We also saw Allen Robinson, the Jaguars wide receiver, go down this weekend, which, not great. I mean, we were hoping he'd be able to have a bounce-back season, not very confident with Blake Bortles as his quarterback, but he's he's super talented, and it's sad to see him have a season-ending knee injury, you know, this early into the season, this early into the first game of the season. Also, unsurprisingly, Danny Woodhead gets hurt again, hamstring injury, carted off the field. Just in terms of fantasy, Buck Allen had 20 carries in this game, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Very impressive to see to see Buck Allen do that. He wasn't even listed very high on the depth chart, and Terrence West still had a lot of usage in this game too, so make sure you're getting Buck Allen in your leagues if you want to have a Ravens running back. If you don't, that is also understandable. Let's jump away from fantasy, and let, let's talk about some of the stuff we saw this weekend over the last few days. Obviously, the season kicked off on Thursday night with the Patriots and the Chiefs. Not going to waste too much time getting into that, but I really think the big story from this week is the Dallas Cowboys. Not because it's recency bias, not because it's New York and I don't root for the Giants, so I don't ever want to go out of my way to talk about the Giants, but this was a big matchup and there's been a lot of speculation about the Cowboys heading into this season. Are they going to be as good as they were last year? Is Ezekiel Elliott going to be able to get on the field and play? How good can Dak Prescott look? And also a lot of questions about the defense. And you know what? They they came out on Sunday night and they answered a lot of questions. Sure, the Giants are without Odell Beckham in this game, which 
I think really speaks volumes to Beckham's value and kind of shows us a little bit more about the Giants. Lots of speculation that this offense was going to be very well-rounded this year, that, you know, adding Brandon Marshall and committing to Paul Perkins as the running back, drafting Evan Ingram, there was going to be a lot of talent, a lot of weapons for Eli Manning to to not have to struggle because anytime Eli Manning has a bad season, it's because there isn't enough talent around him. I mean, obviously you can't draw enough conclusions from one game to say Eli stinks or these guys around him aren't that good. I'm going to use this opportunity to say Odell Beckham is that good. He really makes this offense go. He's one of the top players in football, and you really can't question that anymore. And I think we've seen it for a few years now. Even last year, we saw Beckham really carry the Giants offense through stretches. Last night, he wasn't there. No surprise, the team had two first downs in the first half, and they only managed three points on the evening. Just not a great showing for their offense, but again, I want to talk about the positive here, and that that's the Cowboys, who were just incredibly impressive. The defense was everywhere. Dak was making huge plays. Of course, Zeke eight, even in a less than promising matchup. I mean, this is going to be a team that we're going to have to keep an eye on all season, and we were talking about their schedule and how... They are not going to be able to be as successful as they were last season because their schedule is so difficult, and they had a light schedule last year. Coming out and putting up a game like that against the Giants was as good of a way to start the season as Cowboy fans could have hoped for, and uh, I'm I'm pretty impressed with them. I think they're definitely going to be the team in the beat and the team to beat in the NFC moving forward. With that said, I kind of wanted to start this show after that by talking about some things I wasn't expecting opening weekend and. When we talk about teams to beat, I obviously just spoke about the Cowboys and the NFC, and I think that everybody would have thought team to beat in the AFC is going to be the New England Patriots. And again, we're not overreacting to one week. We're not overreacting to one game. It's incredibly small sample size, and I don't want to be that guy, but I was really impressed that that the Kansas City Chiefs just blew the doors off of them on Thursday night. It wasn't something I was expecting to see, and... This brings me to to my first segment of how I wanted to break down week one, which is things I wasn't expecting opening weekend. There isn't a better place to start than with Alex Smith, who I was not expecting to be the triple crown of quarterbacks after week one. Thursday night, Alex Smith comes out and throws for 368 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and completes 80% of his passes against the Patriots. Look, Kareem Hunt and and Tyreek Hill both went bonkers in this game, but Alex Smith is a quarterback who gets referred to as a checkdown captain and a game manager. And in this game, I mean, we saw him throwing the ball deep. We saw him taking chances. He was incredibly accurate, again, completing 80% of his passes. And Alex Smith typically isn't a quarterback that you associate with going out and winning games. And it looked like he did this. Again, Kareem Hunt made huge plays. Tyree Kill made huge plays. But you look up and down this Chiefs roster in a season where Jeremy Macklin's gone, Jamal Charles is gone, Spencer Ware gets hurt, and it was fair to question what kind of weapons Alex Smith had around him and how the offense would get going, and they sure did get going on Thursday night, uh, something the Patriots weren't able to do, and the Pats are just one of these teams, it feels like, whenever they play opening opening night or their first game, the offense is always going, Tom Brady doesn't miss a beat, sure, no Julian Edelman there, and Danny Amendola gets hurt in the first half of this game, but... The Patriots offense just wasn't clicking, and the Chiefs offense was, so tip your cap to Alex Smith here, and hey, I hope he keeps it up, because I don't like slandering Alex Smith as much as everybody else does, even though I just don't think he's all that good. He was that good on Thursday night. 
Next team I wanted to discuss here in the things I wasn't expecting opening weekend, not to give out participation trophies, but the Browns were a freak Antonio Brown catch away from having a shot at taking the Steelers to overtime on Sunday. After giving up the second most rushing yards last season, Le'Veon Bell managed just 17 yards through his first nine carries, then helped to ice the game with a 15-yard carry. 32 yards were the least Bell's had in the game since his rookie season four years ago. Again, the Browns gave up the second most rushing yards in the NFL last season, and in the first game of the year against the Steelers offense, which is expected to be ridiculous, maybe the best offense in the NFL, Browns defense kind of held their own in this game. And on offense, I mean, they weren't all that terrible too. Deshaun Kaiser had played a solid game. Browns did a nice job managing the clock and staying close in a game that they had no business being in. I mean, again, I think the Steelers offense is definitely going to take off, and I'm surprised they didn't in this game, but got to give a shout out to the Browns and give credit where credit's due because they were in a game that I don't think anybody expected them to be in. I don't know what this means for their outlook on the season. I don't expect it to mean much, but hey, one game at a time, and they sure did their thing here despite losing. Steelers get it together, although I'm not upset. I played Le'Veon Bell in fantasy yesterday. It was nice to not get destroyed by him in week one. Last thing that I was not expecting opening weekend were for the Rams and the Jaguars to be dominant, but I'm not going to talk about them at the top of the show. I'll get back to them a little bit later. Next, I want to move on to some of the things that I was disappointed to see in the opening weekend, and I have to start with the Seahawks because, sure, Seahawks-Packers, it's a coin flip. It's feasible that this is the NFC Championship game, but I was really disappointed to see the Seahawks offense struggle on the road yet again. Last season, they scored 26 times at home, the Seahawks did, and just 10 times on the road. The Packers' defense was historically terrible last season. Russell Wilson's healthy. The Seahawks have had time to figure out their running game and just look like a continuation of last season for them. Again, Packers' defense played a solid game, played better than I think anybody could have expected them to play, but the Seahawks, this is supposed to be a year that they take another step forward, and I don't know how they're going to be able to do that if their offense can't get going on the road. Eddie Lacy had an embarrassing first game with the Seahawks, and you know, granted, this was revenge game narrative for him to take on his old team, the Packers. He just he wasn't there for it, and I mean, they didn't commit to running the ball with him. They couldn't get anything going through the air on the ground, and again, this just this looked like the Seahawks that we saw last season on the road. And I think if they want to win a Super Bowl and get back to that level, they're going to have to play a lot better on the road. Again, week one, not overreacting to anything, but. Get it together, put up more points. This should have been a shootout, and I was very disappointed that it wasn't. I was also disappointed, not personally, but objectively, to see the Patriots crap the bed defensively. Chris Collinsworth was his usual insufferable self, bringing up the Patriots' Super Bowl comeback every time they as much as completed a short pass, and he wouldn't stop mentioning how New England quietly gave up the least points in the NFL last season. That wasn't quite the case in the second half against the Chiefs, the Chiefs just were unstoppable. Again, I, I spoke about Alex Smith being your triple crown leader of quarterback stats through the first game of the season. They couldn't touch him. They couldn't stop him from throwing the ball deep on them. They couldn't tackle Tyreek Hill or Kareem Hunt. The defense was a no-show, and I thought the offense was was almost the, the, the worst part of, of the Patriots. I thought they were the least impressive aspect of the Patriots on, on Thursday night, but the defense couldn't get stops, and it's just it's it's not an impressive way to start the season. Of course, they're going to get it together. I don't think this is Tom Brady being old. Not that I'm transitioning from defense to Brady like that, but we we just we keep hearing about how underrated the Patriots' defense is, and they 
they couldn't do anything in a game that they had a lot of time to prepare for. So, little surprised to see that. Little dis disappointed to see that. While I'm on the Patriots, I, I didn't really want to discuss them too much here because, again, I mean, they're going to be 14 and one probably in 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 another 16 weeks, and this isn't even going to matter. We're all going to forget about it. This is what they do. But I was surprised and disappointed to see Tom Brady not really on the same page as his receivers. Rob Gronkowski had an awfully quiet day. I mean, we, we saw him locked in with Dan, Danny Amendola, and James White was doing James White things again. But I, I was disappointed in the way the team was using Brandon Cooks. Brady kept throwing high to him on the outside in deep coverage, and I feel like that's not the way to get Brandon Cooks involved. Obviously, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick know this a lot better than I do. I'm just an idiot who sits on the couch. Just was very disappointed to see this. Speaking of bad quarterback play and bad offenses, bad Andy Dalton showed up on Sunday. I get it. The Ravens have a tough defense. Dalton doesn't necessarily have proven success against them, but he's one of the better regular season quarterbacks in football, and he has guys who can make plays around him. I'm kind of appalled that Tyler Eifert only managed one catch on one target in this game, and not to overreact, but it kind of shows his volatility in fantasy football. Eifert's career high in receptions for a season is 52. He's a touchdown threat whenever he's on the field, but he's more of a boomer bust than consistent top option at his position, and we kind of saw that on Sunday. I mean, the Bengals just got routed. I don't know that this means the Ravens are going to be any good, but they, they managed the clock well. Joe Flacco was terrible in this game, and offensively, they were still able to get going, and a lot of that was Andy Dalton just being bad and, and giving up turnovers. He was intercepted four times in this game. Not not great. Uh, I was really interested seeing the Ravens run the ball on the Bengals the way they did here. Again, I mentioned in the opening, both Terrence West and Javorius Allen had big games, Buck Allen, and this is with Danny Woodhead going down early in the game too. So not really sure what we're going to see out of the Ravens this year. I think the Bengals will bounce back. Just thought this was, this was a decent opportunity for them to kind of get right and to, to start the season with a win, and they got blown out in this game. Next segment I wanted to move on to were things I was pleasantly surprised by this weekend, and I think we have to start in the NFC East with Carson Wentz, who I thought really played his ass off in this game against the, the Redskins. He outplayed fellow underrated, I put that in quotes, underrated NFC East quarterback Kirk Cousins. Wentz did a nice job spreading the ball around, and with Ertz and Sproles as his essential checkdowns, he was able to take chances to Nelson Aguilar, who's back from the dead, and even to Alshon Jeffrey, who was effectively shut down by Josh Norman. Norman was really in his head. I mean, even when Alshon was getting open, he wasn't catching the ball, but Carson Wentz still took those shots. He, he threw some nice balls. The Eagles defense also played well, but Wentz looked aggressive and aware in a game that was important for his team to win, and the Eagles get off to a good start. I mean, this this is, again, expected to be a very competitive division from top to bottom in the NFC East this year. Big, big for the Eagles to go out and get this win. Also pleasantly surprised by Marshawn Lynch, looking like Marshawn Lynch, he was just bowling guys over in his first game in two seasons after retiring back at the end of the 2014 season. Uh, I thought there would be more rust, but he showed that he complements the Raiders' offense well by carrying the ball 18 times for 76 yards. His team looked really good against Tennessee, which I guess it's not that difficult for a high-powered offense to look good against the Titans, but Marshawn was a big part of it. It's good to see Derek Carr healthy and pick up where he left off last season, and not to overreact to a win against the Tennessee team again, that we don't know if they're good or bad after getting hot against an easy schedule last season, but the Raiders could be really dangerous this year, and it was important that they got off to a hot start. Amari Cooper scores early in the game, which is encouraging to see because he didn't really score much last year, and again, Derek Carr is healthy, Derek Carr is happy, and the Raiders are playing winning football. 
Also, pleasantly impressed by the Detroit Lions. Look, I get it. This is what they do. And the Cardinals' defense isn't really good anymore. Their offense might not be either. But it was impressive to see the Lions' defense match their offense and make some big plays. They have a lot of firepower on both ends of the ball. Matt Stafford, I mean, you must have heard a thousand times over the weekend that he's the highest paid player in football. He came out and played like an MVP candidate in this game and, and was big late, too. I, I was impressed by him. I, I loved Kenny Galladay, who I'll get to in a little bit. And it's just, it's good to see this guy have a lot of guys who can make plays and, and them kind of take some chances down the field, which they didn't do much of last year. They were kind of a big dink and dunk team. And you're going to see that again with, with Theo Reddick playing as much as he plays. He had a bunch of catches yesterday. Just good to see the Lions come out and get this win. I know the Cardinals were without David Johnson, which hurt them, but Carson Palmer didn't look great in this game. He looks a little old, and I think if there was a game for the Cardinals to come out and win to show that they're going to be a solid team this year, this was it. Instead, it was the Lions that we walk away talking with, and yeah, I think that they're impressive in a team that we're going to have to watch out for this year. Up next, I wanted to discuss some things that I'm just not sure what to do with. I mentioned it earlier in the opening, but the Jacksonville Jaguars were dominant on Sunday. They overcame Blake Bortles and a bad Allen Robinson injury, but they did what they set out to do. They bullied the Texans defensively, and they let Leonard Fournette and Chris Ivory pound the ball. Fournette was his best-case scenario on Sunday, I thought. He was impressive running, and he even had three receptions, which, again, Blake Bortles is terrible. Three receptions led the Jaguars on Sunday. We're not going to expect this to be a high-powered offense, but as long as they can manage the clock take care of the ball and, and play stout defense, which we're expecting them to do. They have so much talent on defense. They're not going to be terrible this year. And the Texans are a team that they're supposed to be solid. So to see the Jaguars come out and kind of bully a team that is known to be a, a defense first, run the ball team, even though, yeah, Tom Savage was awful and got benched and it led to Deshaun Watson taking his first snaps, which I don't know that we expected that that early in the season. I mean, this is, the Texans didn't look great and the Jaguars did, so shout out to them. Also, surprisingly, for teams that we did not expect to be good this year, I mean, look, we know that they played against the Indianapolis Colts, but the Los Angeles Rams, specifically Jared Goff, looked great on Sunday. After looking like a non-NFL quarterback as a rookie, Goff completed 21 of 29 passes for 306 yards in this game. You know how many times Jared Goff threw for 300 yards last season? Zero. Do you know how many games he won last season? Zero. Goff comes out in his first game of the season, looks great, wins the game. I mean, look, the, the Rams' defense was huge in this game, too. They they picked six Scott Tolzien twice, which Scott Tolzien, duh, terrible. We might even be seeing Jacoby Brissett for the Colts until Andrew Luck gets healthy, which, boy, things are not good in Indianapolis. But it was just really impressive to see Jared Goff come out and look good. The hype surrounding the Goff-Cooper Cup connection is real. And look, if Cooper Cup is on your waiver wire in fantasy, you should go put in a claim for him. Uh, I just, I don't know if this is going to be the Jared Goff that we're going to see all season. We we have heard about, you know, him and, and Coach Sean McVay and McVay being good for him and opening things up. And yeah, obviously anything has to be better than Jeff Fisher was for Goff last year. It's too early to tell what we're going to see with Goff, but he came out confident after not showing any confidence last year. And that's what you want to see out of a young quarterback on top of, the 29 for the 21 for 29 for 306 yards. So shout out to Jared Goff. I mean, not going to be starting him in fantasy or DFS anywhere, but uh, let's see if he could do it again next week. Also, last thing that I'm not really sure what to do with the Carolina Panthers crushed the 49ers on Sunday and their defense looks incredible. 
Offensively, I'm just I'm still not sold. Christian McCaffrey led the way in receptions and targets, not surprisingly. I just don't think that this team's going to be able to keep up like that. I, I They're another team that, you know, McCaffrey led the team in receptions with, I think it was five receptions on the day. And I think you need to be able to throw the ball downfield in this league to win. Obviously, Cam Newton does that well, maybe better than anybody else. I don't know that he has the receivers, though. And losing Ted Ginn, I can't believe I'm saying this, losing Ted Ginn kind of hurts their credibility to do that a little bit. We're going to see, obviously, if Kelvin Benjamin can have a better season this year and we'll see what Devin Funches could do, but I just am not sold on the offensive weapons on this team. Christian McCaffrey looked good, impressive NFL debut for him. Obviously, he's going to be a big part of their passing game, and it, it was enough for Sunday. It really was. I just don't know that beating up on the 49ers necessarily makes me feel great about what this team can do moving forward. Last thing that I wanted to do football-wise reviewing week one I wanted to talk about a few fantasy trends to watch out for. In the Bengals' backfield, we saw Gio Bernard get 8 touches, rookie Joe Mixon get 11, and Jeremy Hill touch the ball 7 times. I don't know what we're going to see this year, but I think it's very impressive for Mixon that he led the backfield with with touches. He caught the ball 3 times also. Everything seemed distributed pretty evenly in terms of rushing attempts between these 3 guys, but... The fact that Mixon has his big playability and that he saw the most touches in this game has to bode well for him moving forward. Obviously, he isn't a player who you can go out and pick up on the waiver wire at this point, but if he's sitting on your roster and you need running back help, he might be a guy that you could start next week. Talking about another rookie who was really impressive on Sunday, Kenny Galladay. I mentioned him earlier when we spoke about the Detroit Lions. He catches four balls for 69 yards, but the best stat here is the two touchdowns. This was supposed to be the Eric Ebron show. Eric Ebron was the guy that was supposed to take Anquan Bolden's role. He's a guy who can run short routes and and make catches in traffic. This was supposed to be the season that we see Eric Ebron take off and replace those touchdowns. Not saying it's not going to be that year for him, but he caught two balls for nine yards while while Galladay goes 4-69-2. Those two touchdown catches were both incredible catches and plays that he had to go out and make. It's not like he's going over the middle and just catching easy balls. I mean, he's a playmaker, but it was impressive to see Matt Stafford not only trust him, but make these big plays when, again, he's been known as this dink and dunk quarterback. Galladay kind of, I hate that they made this comparison in the offseason, but Galladay kind of brings that Calvin Johnson-like feel to the offense where he's a big guy who can go to the outside and make plays, and you throw jump balls up for him, and he's showing already that he can get them. Galladay could legitimately take slash multiply Anquan Bolden's production from last year in an offense that's predicated on efficiency. And he's a guy, again, who goes up and catches these balls that get thrown to him. I would like to get him everywhere that I can in fantasy. One more guy who needs to be on your radar if he isn't already. Bears rookie running back Tariq Cohen was mighty productive, even with Jordan Howard having a solid game on Sunday. Cohen led the Bears in receptions with eight including a receiving touchdown. He also carried the ball five times for 66 yards. With how limited this team is offensively, Cohen might play a consistent, relatively high-volume role in this offense, and I don't know that it makes a difference who the quarterback's going to be for him to be able to get his. Make sure he is on your radar for fantasy football purposes. All right, I think that's about all I have football-wise. Again, I I don't want to pretend to be a fantasy football analyst and and go long on, on football stuff, but I can't not react to week one. I'm pumped up. I'm excited for the two Monday night football games tonight. A lot of fantasy stuff relying on that. Let's go Melvin Gordon. Let's go Keenan Allen. But I don't want to be a fantasy football guy. I want to be more a basketball guy on this podcast, especially when I have guests. 
But if it's going to be me, I'm going to talk about what's relevant in my sports world by myself. And it's hard for me to wrap up a show without talking about Eurobasket and without Chris Apps Porzingis, who was playing incredibly well for, for a Latvia team that just isn't known for, for having a bunch of NBA players. Since losing their opening game to Serbia, they've won one, two, three, four, five games in a row, and they get ready to play Slovenia next, which should be an incredible game. Slovenia, of course, we've we've all been talking about and keeping our eyes on because they have Goran Dragic, they have Luka Doncic on this team. I mean, this has been the coming out party for Luka Doncic, so it's going to be a lot of fun to see Porzingis going up against Doncic and, and seeing, you know, how Doncic matches up against an NBA rim protector, not to say he hasn't been going up against NBA players in this tournament, but I don't think anybody was really expecting Latvia to get this far to the quarterfinals of this of this tournament. And a big part of that's been Porzingis, who's been incredible on both sides of the court. Look, I'm going to get excited when Chris Stapps Porzingis does fun basketball things. It's just, it's it's in my blood. And I mean, just, you don't need to go further than Twitter to see the highlights of putback dunks, block shots, threes, crossovers. I mean, you realize why they call this guy a unicorn if you watch him for just two minutes. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. And I hope that this Lafayette team can continue to make a run. If you haven't caught any of Eurobasket, you could catch some of it at FIBA.basketball. That, that's where Eurobasket is being streamed. Just search the internet. Go find Chris S. Porzingis. Watch basketball. It's, it's good for your health. I think that's all I have today. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. I'm really excited for next week's show. I promise I have a really good guest in the chamber, and you're all going to be real happy about it. So thank you again so much for listening. You could follow me on Twitter at jmintshoops. Catch my basketball writing at fanragsports.com. Have a great week.